great, good and wonderful. I'm sure there's other things to say, but as I mentioned, Emily, my other half, is not here. She is the organized one. I'm just the brawn. So today is basically just 100% brawn, 0% brain. Lucky you. Um, so new year, new term, uh, new venue, new chapter uh, for our little church. We are really excited for what this year may hold. We have an inkling of what may be on the horizon. We're sure there's a whole bunch of stuff that God's got for us that we have no idea about as well. Um, let's have a quick kind of show of hands in the room. How are we feeling about the new year? I want to be like, thumbs up, yes, very excited. Thumbs down, no thank you. Somewhere in the middle. Okay, we've got some kind of very amounts of optimism there. Okay, yeah, yeah, so there's a pretty, pretty big spread in the room. Um, I, I'm sorry, I know it's cheesy, I do it every year, but I'm going to do it again. New Year's resolutions in the room, yes? Are we doing them? Anybody got some? You're not a fan, why are you not a fan? Well, you, you regret putting your thumb up then, so ignore Ben. Anybody else got one? Anybody set any New Year's resolutions in the room? Is nobody feeling optimistic? You're feeling a little optimistic. Okay, just, so this is how this morning, this afternoon is going to run. Find yourself some friendly people around you to have a little chat. I want you to share with them what is your New Year's resolution, or crucially, why have you not made one? So just take a couple of minutes, find some friendly looking people and discuss. What is your New Year's resolution, or what is your excuse for not making one? Okay, then, let's hear from you guys. So, has anybody actually got a New Year's resolution? Because I'm, I'm sensing a distinctly scroogey vibe in the room. Anybody got one they want to share? Yeah? Ben, what's yours, then? Survive the year. To survive the year. I think we can all kind of, we can all get involved with that one. Anybody else? What's yours, Becky? You want to say again? You're trying to do the Bible in a year. Very good. Anybody else ever tried doing the Bible in a year? Yeah. Anybody actually finish it? Less hands up. Yes. I'm a yes. Well done, Mumbles. Mumbles did it. Anybody else got a New Year's resolution they want to share? Yeah, go on, Dan. What's yours? Piano lessons. Are you going to do grades? I'm loving that. That's going to be very good fun. Well, I mean, we've got one right here, mate. We're ready when you are. Okay, so let's hear your scroogey reasons then. Why, for those of you who are abstaining, why are you abstaining from New Year's resolutions? So you're not going to be constrained by a date for doing new stuff. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Any other scrooges in the room want to unveil yourselves? No, you're all being far too polite. Um, well, I'm a real sucker for New Year's resolutions. I always make them, and they never last till fe uh, February, so... That's fairly pathetic, but um, I want to encourage all of us this morning to, this afternoon, oh, every time, same morning, so many times, this afternoon, I want to encourage all of us to actually make a New Year's resolution together as a community, um, something which I think is going to help us as a community to launch into the new year with all of the uncertainties and joys and blessings and highs and lows um, that, that next year is going to throw at us, whatever we do, um, something to keep our eyes on course and our course set. Um, so, as we just said, has anybody ever tried to read the Bible in one year? Anybody ever tried that? Anybody ever tried reading the Bible and just found it tricky? Like, I have my hand up as the leader of this church saying, yes, I have read the Bible and I find it tricky. So, this hand is permission. I'm going to ask that question again. Has anybody ever tried reading the Bible and found it tricky? I literally want to see every single hand in the room up. Because if your hand isn't up, you're not telling the truth. It's tricky, isn't it? Yeah? Um, 
I mean, even the four biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are tricky to read sometimes. And I want to just say one of the reasons why I think we find the Bible so tricky to read is that as a book, it's designed to be read together as a community with other people. So if you're sitting at home and reading it on your own, that is wonderful, but that is also tricky. And when you open it up with other people, all of a sudden the book seems to come alive. Um, And so what we are going to be doing is we are going to be reading over the next four months one of the biographies of Jesus' life together. We are going to be reading the book of Luke which is one of the biographies of Jesus' life, the gospel according to Luke. Uh, We're going to be doing a few things to kind of enable all of us to engage with this. We're going to be recording two chapters a week on our podcast, um, so you can listen to it. You don't even have to read it if you don't want to, and you can listen to it whilst you're doing the washing up. Or if you do want to read it, you can check on the weekly email, and on there it will tell you which chapters we're reading. And then when we gather as a community on Sundays like this, we are going to be uh, unpacking what those two chapters were all about. And then some of the home groups are also, in the following week, going to be unpacking it further and asking some questions. So we're going to be doing a really deep dive on the book of Luke together. And I want to encourage all of us in the room to really seriously consider engaging with this and giving this a go, especially if you're somebody who just put your hand up to say that you found the Bible a bit tricky. And that was all of you. Ha ha, I got you. Um, So if that's you, I really want to encourage you to think about giving this a go. And I think that we're going to find this an extremely rich experience. One of my favorite bits of Bible comes from a book called Hebrews, and it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And so that's what we're going to be doing to start this year. We know that we have a race ahead of us. We don't know what that race will hold. So we want to start this year by fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're going to be reading one of his biographies together, and we're going to let him speak to us. We're going to let him offend us. We're going to let him shape us and form us. We're going to let Jesus actually speak for himself. I hope that we're going to actually get to know the real Jesus. We're not just going to jump to the bits of the story that we like, and we're not going to skip over the bits of the story that we don't like or don't understand. We're going to read the lot, and we're going to ask all of the questions that we want to. And my hope and prayer is that we will meet Jesus and be transformed in the process. We're going to hear loads of stories of people who have met Jesus and been transformed, and my hope and my prayer is that all of us, as we engage with this, um, will be transformed as well. So, who's up for it? Yeah, I can see. That's great. I mean, I'm not going to lie. We're going to be doing it whether you're up for it or not. So, I mean, you might as well engage with it. You'll probably find the process a whole lot more enjoyable. Um, So we're going to jump in today. We're going to jump into the first two chapters. And would you look at that? You're already two chapters behind because you're supposed to have read it already. Come on, guys. Did anyone catch the podcast this week, actually? Anybody? Yeah, well done. You guys, you get gold stars and brownie points. Well done. So there is already a podcast with the first two chapters up there. So if you want to, you can go back and listen. But don't worry, because the first two chapters of Luke are are basically the Christmas story. So we've just heard uh, the story about Mary and Joseph and the angels coming. So that's the kind of first two chapters of Luke. And tomorrow morning... We'll be releasing the next podcast, which will be chapters three and four. Um, And so you can pick it up from there, and we'll do it all together. Yes? Sound like a plan? 
excellent. Um, and so what we're going to be doing with the rest of our time today is I just want to introduce our theme for this term as well, because what we're going to be doing as we're reading Luke is we're going to kind of be reading it with a bit of a highlighter pen, and we're going to be looking out for a certain theme which crops up in Luke an awful lot, and my hope is that um, it's really going to speak to us, and our Sunday speakers, when they come in, they're going to be unpacking this theme as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to play a very quick game, and then we're going to watch a very quick video, and then we're going to wrap up. Sound good? Great. Okay, so anybody here ever been a teenager? Yeah? Anybody been a teenager? Yeah? Ben, come on, mate. You could put your hand up for that. Yep. You're close. Anybody ever lived with a teenager? That? Yes. Yes, very good. Um, so this should be... Uh, anybody ever seen Kevin and Perry? That's starting to age me. Kevin and Perry, anybody else? Yes. So you'll all be able to finish this sentence for me if I say, Oh, Mum and Dad, that is so not fair. That is so not fair. Now, I don't know what it is about children. But when they come out of the womb, you have to literally teach them everything. You have to teach them the, like, the requisites for survival, like teach them how to eat, teach them how to drink, teach them how to sleep. Can I get an amen to teaching children how to sleep? I'm like, come on, you know it's good for you. Go to sleep. Hey? They were literally born yesterday. Exactly. Very good. I like that. Do you want to come and do this? That's very good. They're literally born yesterday. They don't know to how, how to do anything. But you never have to teach a child about fairness, do you? You never have to. That thing is hardwired from day one. They know from the moment they come out what's fair and what's not. Um, so like in our house, it's like if we slice a cake, those slices need to be like, I mean, if I was to try and teach my children fractions, it would go but if when we're slicing the cake, we're like, that is one thirty-tooth smaller than the other one. Like, that is hardwired. Like, they've got to go to bed at the same time. They've got to have the same amount of books read, the same amount of pushes on the swings. I mean, we are coming out of the toddler phase now, so it's less about that now. But generally speaking, we all know this. Kids are hardwired for what's fair and what's not. And let's not pretend that we as adults are any better. Can anybody else remember the seething rage of this time two years ago when you go to the supermarket and you find that some body has taken all of the toilet roll? Can we remember this? The great toilet roll famine of 2020? I mean, oh, it's just not fair. And like some of our colleagues were like teachers and nurses, they are frontline and they go to get their to and I think Emily, bless her, saw somebody weeping in Tesco's because there was no toilet roll. It's not fair. Or like, you know, if you're the person who washes up in your house, like if you noticed how the other people, they just use every single pot and pan, it just doesn't come into their mind. It's just like, fine, somebody else is washing up, I don't care. It's not fair. Or like, let's just do this last one. Just, I want you to picture yourself in the post office. There's like eight or nine people in the queue ahead of you. You're all being very British and well-behaved and somebody just comes and just stands in front of you. Doesn't cut the whole line, just you. Just comes and stands in front of you and just looks over their shoulder. He knows you're there. Just looks over your shoulder. No, it's not fair. Okay, so we are wired for this. We know about this. Um, there's a few other words we could use to describe fairness. Um, what other word could we use to describe this sense of fairness? Justice. Very good. You also get a gold star and brownie points. Justice. That's right, justice. Um, when things are fair, we say they're just. When things are unfair, we say they're unjust or there is an injustice. And justice is one of the biggest, most important, and I think most 
overlooked themes in the Bible. Jesus taught about it the whole time, and it's all through the Bible. Justice is one of the biggest and most important and most overlooked themes, not only in Jesus' teaching, but in the whole Bible. Um, The Bible is absolutely laden with stories and conversations and thoughts and instructions all about justice, Um, and Jesus was all about justice himself. And the book of Luke is one of the best biographies of Jesus' life for really highlighting the theme of justice in Jesus' life and teaching. But what is justice? Um, Because it's more than just being fair, isn't it? It's deeper than that. It's more kind of substantial than that. And what does it look like to find justice in the Bible? So I want you guys to kind of reform those little clusters you just made and just answer me that question. What is justice? What does it look like? And what does justice look like in the Bible? So just a couple of minutes and then we'll come back and have a little bit of feedback. Okay, anybody got anything they want to shout at me? Ideas about justice. Yeah, you guys had a good one. Um, the law? Yeah, law and order. That was very good. The police, law and order, so kind of like a morality. Anybody else? Ideas about justice? The right thing ultimately happening. Very good. I like that. Yeah. Anybody else got any other nuances? Getting what you deserve. Okay. Very good. Very interesting. Okay. So... Where am I on here? Uh, diddly D. Yeah, so there we are. So um, you guys have kind of, there's a couple of different nuances there. Um, but for broadly for us in the West, we have three different definitions of justice that we go to. Um, and so when we're having a conversation about justice, what tends to happen is that we come to the Bible and we kind of copy and paste what we think justice is and expect to find it in the Bible. Um, and so they basically kind of broadly fall into three categories. The first one is all about kind of maximizing welfare. And in this view, justice is kind of producing the most good and reducing the most harm for the greatest number of people. So in other words, whatever will help the most people, um, let's do that, basically. Simple. That's a kind of definition of justice. Um, The second one is all about freedom. It's about freedom of expression. It's about freedom from oppression. Um, It's about the freedom to live the way that I want to live without any kind of impediment. And in this view of freedom, um, uh, the basically the more freedom there is, the more justice there is. Um, And so kind of freedom from being oppressed and freedom of expression. And the final type of justice is, as my lovely assistants down here said, uh, it's all about morality. It's about doing the right thing. It's about behaving in the right way and doing the things which encourage society to thrive. So justice is about obeying the rules, about doing the right thing and the kind of consequences if you don't toe the line. So do you guys like, do you recognize those three? Do those resonate with you? Yeah? Yeah? Generally, people resonating with that. So, like, it's either, you know, maximizing everyone's welfare, freedom, or morality. So, like, who identifies with what? Like, that first one, maximizing welfare for the most amount of people. Who would kind of call that justice? Yeah? Two of, two of us. Good. Um, what about the second one? Freedom, rights, freedom from oppression. How, who's kind of identifying with that one? Yeah? One, two, three-ish. Yeah? And the third one about kind of promoting morality in the right way of living. Yeah? There's about three of us, again, fabulous, very good. Um, So let's plug in an example, maybe that will help us a little bit. So um, 
with my other hat on, one of the things that I do uh, is kind of engaging with issues of food poverty in our city and asking questions about how families who are struggling to get by, struggling to fill their cupboards, are going to feed their kids over the summer holidays. And so food inequality is quite a big issue in our city. And so if we were to kind of seek justice for that issue of food inequality, um, like in the first vision of justice, that would be just simply giving people as much food as possible, getting it all out there kind of indiscriminately, the more food to the mo most families as possible, that's achieving justice. And in the second view of justice, um, that would be to kind of ask families what they would like to eat, uh, kind of identify who, who wants to eat what, and kind of really giving them what they want and what they need. That would be kind of seen as justice. And then the third view, we might kind of like target the families who need it the most, or maybe we'd chase after the kind of the real reasons why people are struggling with food poverty. And you can see how all of those three approaches, they all achieve good. All of them are justice, and they all kind of touch each other, but they are different, aren't they? They're different interpretations of what it means to do the just thing, to do the right thing. And so the purpose of our journey through Luke this term is to listen to and learn from God's definition of justice. And we're going to find all three of those definitions represented. All three of them are present in how Jesus and the Bible talks about justice. Um, we're going to be talking about some hot topics. Um, we're going to be um, talking about some present day injustices and, ha and basically how the words of Jesus would impel us into action. Uh, we're going to spend some time debating some of these um, and what is the just thing to do in this situation. Now, this is a kind of Surgeon General's warning, but as we go through this term, there will be times when we will be absolutely Team Jesus. We will be agreeing with him, our hearts will be thumping in our chest, our fists will be pumping in the air, and we'll be like, yes, justice, and we'll be getting up on our feet, like, yeah, let's go and do this, amazing. And then there will be the other weeks. And in those weeks, we'll feel Jesus looking at us and pointing a finger at us, and we'll find that our behavior is actually up on the chopping block, and the question will be leveled at us as to whether our day-to-day -day behavior is just or unjust. And I just want to warn you that that might be slightly uncomfortable. But I've warned you now, so we're going to do it. But, I'm, but this is part of the formational process. This is part of following Jesus and being formed by him, that sometimes we're going to find that we're really resonating with him, and sometimes he's going to really challenge us. So I, for one, am kind of looking forward to that and terrified about that in equal measure. But we're going to be doing it as a family, so it's okay. Um, ultimately, I hope this uh, discussion is going to shape us and change us and grow us into more rounded, more loving human beings and more faithful followers of Jesus. So, we are going to be going on a journey through Luke together, unpacking the theme of justice, um, but I've spoken for far too long, so let's watch a Bible Project video what justice means, uh, and, and we'll go from there. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world 
by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use. But what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like... Here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. 
But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I love that video. I mean, let's be honest, I love everything the Bible Project does, but I do really love that video. I love the way that it represents like those levels of kind of like justice and injustice and how God's vision of justice is about kind of addressing that inequality. Um, that God notices and cares about and elevates the victims of this world, not the big impressive people um, that God pays attention to. It's the small and the low. Um, and we're just going to finish our time together um, by praying. And I want to just read, if I can, um, from our chapters this week, um, a prayer that Mary, Jesus' mum, prays when she finds out she's going to give birth to Jesus. Um, and I want us to notice how she's kind of tapping into this justice theme in her prayer. Now, in Jesus' time, women had very, very little status, especially young women, and Mary was likely from a very poor family living hand-to-mouth day-to-day. And so Mary was, by all accounts, nobody special. Um, and by the words of the narrative, um, uh, uh, she was like a nobody. She was completely expendable at the bottom of the pile. Um, and if you remember in the Christmas story, Jesus, uh, Mary was met by an angel who tells her she's going to give birth to the Son of God. And I mean, like, like what a job description. Um, but God didn't choose some rich, important, flashy family. Um, he didn't choose some princess. He chose a poor, single teenage girl from the middle of nowhere to start this rescue plan. God that we are here to talk about today. Uh, and by choosing Mary, God elevates Mary to a position of honor, and he's bringing her justice, just as we saw in that video. So, Lauren, would you be up for coming and joining me and just playing over this? Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm gonna, just going to read to us um, the prayer that Mary prays um, in Luke chapter 1. And why don't we all stand together? Uh, I'm going to read this out, and then we're going to sing, and then we'll, uh, we'll take it from there. So this is from um, the message translation of the Bible. And the prayer says this. I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one look at me and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy set apart from all others. His mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. 
he has bared his arms and showed his strength, scattering the bluffing braggarts. He knocked tyrants off their high horses, pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child, Israel. He remembered, piled on his mercies. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham and right up to now. And Father God, as we're gathered here today, we remember that you are defined by justice, that you care for the poor, for the broken, for the lost, for those who are far away from you. That's why you came. And as we engage with this reading of your, uh, of your account of Jesus' life that we see in Luke, would you come and shape us and mold us and change us? Give us your heart for justice, Lord.